Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, Revelation 2, 12 through 17, And it reads, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, I guess I could let you get there. Well, you got it up here. You're cheating. No, I'm kidding. Um, So um, if you could follow along up here. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Verse 13, And I know thy works, and where thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. So again this is the church of Pergamos and in the church of Pergamos they are uh, is a part of the seven churches of the book of Revelation and uh, Jesus is uh, walking among these churches just like he is walking among churches today. Uh, Our church is one of many around the world, but we're a part of the body of Christ, and uh, we want to stand upon truth, walk in truth. But we we are a part of a big body of Christ all around the world. And uh, so when we look at the the uh, letter to the church of Pergamos, Jesus was writing these words because he, and again, just like the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna, uh, it is a uh, desire of the Lord to help these churches be able to, to grow and flourish. And uh, there's some things that he saw that they did that was good and some he saw some things that they need to work on that he was against. We don't want God to be against us. <laughs> uh, we, we definitely don't want God to be against us. We want him to be on our side because we are his church. But there are some things that he, just like in the church of uh, Pergamos, he was against some things. But as we look at the city of Pergamos, again, it was just like Ephesus and it was also like Smyrna. Uh, because they were so wrapped up in idol worship and uh, they had ancient temples, uh, they had education 
culture of education. They also had great libraries. They had over, uh, some of the libraries, they had over 200 and some thousand volumes. Uh, so there was a lot of education and learning there. It was a religious city, not as we know it. It was religious to idols and worship of uh, other gods other than the God. And, uh, uh, but what uh, the Lord was pointing out here was that the church uh, of Pergamos, uh, they were in the midst of these cities, just like Smyrna and just like uh, Ephesus, uh, but they were in these cities and they had to deal with certain situations and temptations and struggles and, and, and false doctrines, and, uh, but yet uh, what we can learn from this is that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We have to keep that in mind, that we are in the world, but we're not of it. Uh, our world has become very crazy, <laughs> even of recent. There's a lot of unusual things that are happening that I never even dreamed that would happen. I knew the Bible says it would wax worse and worse. But there's a lot of things that we've got to, as a church, as we are in the midst of a world of, of false doctrine, of compromise, of sin, of idol worship, there's still idol worship. Um, and uh, when we look at this, we, we are a church that's in the midst of a world that uh, has a lot of sin and uh, worship of other gods other than the God. Think about it, there is no other God. They have created these gods to the point where they... They worship idols. There is no God beside the Lord. There is no one greater than the Lord. He is the only God. But man has created these gods to worship. Um, sometimes mankind gets things in their mind that this is a better way, but it's not a better way. God's way is the best way. Amen? Now, I know you can give me a better amen than that. Amen. God knows. He knows where we're at. He knows what we need. And we're a landmark worship center. We're in the midst of a world that is turned upside down. And we want to take the word of God and turn it right side up. And uh, so Jesus began to speak to the church of Pergamos. So that's what the church of Pergamos was dealing with, just like all the other churches. Uh, they were in the midst of the, the uh, stronghold of Satan. And uh, Jesus describes himself in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, he describes himself to the church of Pergamos. He said, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Um, he who has the sharp two-edged sword. In Revelation 1 and 16, John observed uh, of Jesus, as it says here, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. The words that Jesus spoke is the power of the word of God. He, he is the word. We find that in the book of John. He is the word. Uh, but revelations, as John the, the revelator, he was observing of Jesus, and as he wrote these words, uh, as Jesus gave them to him, uh, in the book of Revelation, that out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His word, the Bible, is 
as in Hebrews, and we'll read that scripture here in a moment, talks about that, that the word is a sharp two-edged sword. It cuts down to the, the very moral of our lives. Uh, but Jesus described himself as that, that, that he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Uh, the description of the sword in Revelation 1 and 18 also helps us to associate with the, with the mouth of Jesus, speaking words out and the power that comes forth out of that. There's power in your Bible, that book that's not just pages and ink, and it's powerful word there. It's anointed word. It's not like just any other book. We've got a lot of books on our shelves, but it's not like just any other book. It's a book of anointing. It's a book of power. It's a book of deliverance. It's a book of salvation. It's a book of hope. It's a book of love. It's a book of joy. I mean, we can go on down the list, and the Bible has all of these things in it. It's powerful. It will change a person's life. And as it's preached, as it's taught, as it's read, you know, we talk a lot about preaching, we talk a lot about teaching, but as it's read and absorbed into our own life, which we need to do that, uh, can I hear an amen? We need to absorb that into our heart and life, and uh, it will change us. But it's a sharp two-edged sword. And uh, in the book of Hebrews, Chapter 4, talking about that sharp two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is, and now this is a, another, uh, well, let me read the King, King James Version first, and I'll read another translation. Uh, Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Another translation reads it this way. Uh, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God gets down where, where we're at, gets down to the core of where our lives are, and uh, it cuts both ways. It, it is a powerful word. Well, what Jesus was saying in verse 13 here of the church of Pergamos, he said, he said, I know the church at Pergamos. This is what he knows about. He knew their works. He knew what they had done. And uh, Revelation 2.13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr and was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. He said, I know your works. Jesus uh, said that to each church. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know the good things that you're doing. And it's true of all of the churches in the book of Revelation that he spoke to, the seven churches, but it's also true about our church. He knows our works. And even if there isn't much to know, he still knows it. He knows. And if there's a lot to know, he knows it. But what he was saying to the church of Pergamos, he said, I know your works. 
And he said, I know that you dwell or you live and the church is in the midst of Satan's throne. There's a lot of evil things that are going around around you. You're in the middle of this. We could look at this this way. Our church and a lot of churches are in strongholds, cities. Satan tries to have princes over cities and tries to take control over cities and tries to uh, keep the work of God from, from going forth, fights against it, tries to convince people that they don't need God, tries to convince because it's the throne of Satan in Pergamos. And it's the same thing in other cities. There's, there's princes of cities. There's a prince of the Falto and the, the surrounding area here. We cannot allow that prince of that city to control us and lead us into compromise. We've got to overcome. How do you do that? Prayer and fasting. How do you do that? Walking with God, putting the word of the Lord in your heart, uh, uh, absorbing everything you can from God, getting as close to God as you can so that you won't compromise. There is... there. It, some people think that um, in religions that it's easy, you know, it's a, it's okay to compromise. No, you don't need to compromise because it's the word of God is going to save you. I want it just exactly the way the Lord gave it to us. I don't want it any other way. You don't want it any other way. Amen? We want it exactly the way the Lord gave it to us. The word of God. That's what's going to deliver us and save us. But he said, I know your works. And I know that you dwell where Satan's throne is. Per Pergamos was a stronghold of satanic power. Uh, there's spirits of, of Satan that are, uh, that, that are trying to control cities. Uh, I do believe that we have broken some things in this city, but we haven't broken everything. We've got a lot further to go. When we get it broke the way it needs to be broke, we're going to see fruit and harvest like we haven't seen. And uh, there is an attack to try to hold that back from the church and to get us to compromise. If we compromise, we lose anointing. Let me say that again. If we compromise, we will lose anointing. God is moving in this church. There's so much more that we, we've got to flow in and we've got to uh, work in and we've got to see God move. We've got to see these altars filled with people that need the Holy Ghost and pray them through to the Holy Ghost. We've got to see the baptism tank stirred, that water. We don't want it to get stagnant. We want it to be stirred. We want people to be filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the word of God. But Pergamos was right there in the midst of that satanic power but here's what the Lord said, I see your works. You're in the midst of all these satanic spirits of hell and idol worship and all of this compromise and all of these things. You're in the center of pagan religion. But he said that you hold fast my name. The Lord was happy about that. That even though they were in the midst of, the, of paganistic worship and the throne of Satan. One thing that Pergamus did, the church of Pergamus, they 
held fast the name of the Lord. Despite the fact that they lived in this such a difficult city, the Christians of Pergamos held fast to their faith in Jesus and held fast to the name of Jesus. They did not deny their faith. Well, the scripture says, they did not deny my faith, Jesus was saying. His faith. Did not deny my faith. Jesus praised the Christians of Pergamos. And he was, he was glad that they were, even though they were in the midst of a very temptation place, uh, Jesus was happy that they did not deny his faith. And then also he goes on and he says, even an example here, there was a man named Antipas. There's no other place in the Bible or history books that we know of. I mean, it might be some in history books, I don't know, that about Antipas's life. But history tells us nothing really about him except for these scriptures. That Antipas did not deny his name also, and didn't deny his faith. And he became a martyr for the Lord, gave his life for the Lord to stand up for the truth. That's the thing. It's a great example. Antipas was an example for us. Um, he's an example for us as a martyr. He would not bow down to the pagan worship and the gods and idols, and he took a stand for God. You know why we are able to take a stand? Here's the thing about it. It's not because a pastor tells you you have to. Now, I, I, will, I will preach the word. I will teach the word to you. I will tell you what we need to do, what we must do, what God's calling us to do. That's my calling is to deliver that word. It's up to us to make the decision to, to live the, the way the word says. But um, here's, the, here's the key to it all. And what makes it easier to live for God is just simply fall in love with Jesus. Fall completely in love with Jesus. It's not hard to live for God when you really fall in love with Jesus. Now here's the thing. There's, there's times we have to override the flesh. There's times we have to override temptation. There's times we have to override different things. Peer pressure, all of that. But here's the thing, if you are, have just totally given yourself and fallen in love with Jesus, it's not hard to uh, not compromise. Because I don't want to let the Lord down. You don't want to let the Lord down. We love him. We, we praise him. We're living for him. And we want to live for him till he comes and takes us home. We love him. It's simple, simple to just fall in love with Jesus. Every chance you get to be in the presence of the Lord. Every chance you get, try to absorb the word of God. Get everything you can from the Lord. You can have any kind of move of God in your life if you really want it. And any church can have any kind of move of God we want if we really want it. And if we really want to make the sacrifice in prayer and fasting and the word of the Lord and commitment to the Lord and walking in holiness, 
walking in a love for the, the, the Lord. We can have any kind of move of God. We're willing to make that sacrifice. Antipas made a sacrifice for the Lord, gave his life as a martyr because he would not bow down to the ways of the paganistic religions and the ways of the world. There's a lot of peer pressure out there. I remember when I was in high school, there was a lot of peer pressure to try to be like the world, be accepted, try to be, you know, try to be liked. We all want to be liked. We all want to fit in. But the thing about it is living for God, you're going to have some attacks against you. You might as well admit that. When I was in high school, I had, uh, I had, I had several friends. But when I came to the Lord, I had to make a decision. And I made a decision the day I received the Holy Ghost and was baptized. Uh, the day I repented, received the Holy Ghost, and I was baptized a few days later. I told the Lord, I'm going to make it all the way. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm not going back. I'm not compromising. I'm going to keep moving toward you. I want to get as close to you as I can. I told my pastor, I want to know everything it takes to get as close to God as I can. I want to be what you want me to be, God. It, the Bible says, uh, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We get up every day like the rest of the world does. We go to bed like everybody else does. We eat food. We survive. We live. We go to work. We do all these things the rest, like the rest of the world. But one thing is we commit ourselves to the Lord. And what the Lord was trying to point out here is, um, you know, you're in the midst of, of the throne of Satan and these strongholds, but you haven't denied my name and you haven't denied, notice here, my faith. My faith. So Antipas stood against the attacks of the evil around him. He was in the world, but he was not of it. Do you know what the word or the name Antipas means? It means against all. I think there's a significance there. And I would put it in the sense that Antipas means against all, against all that is contrary to God. He had a commitment to the Lord. We need a commitment to the Lord. So strong. As a matter of fact, uh, even though Antipas was nothing that we know of in history really describes this man other than the scriptures that we have here. So we don't know a whole lot about Antipas other than he was a martyr. We know his name. We know what his, basically what his name means by looking at uh, definitions of that. Uh, we know he, he was a martyr and gave his life and would not deny the, uh, just like the church of Pergamos, did not deny the name, did not deny, deny his faith. But even though there's so little things to know about Antipas, the Lord knew. He knew everything about him. 
He remembered him. He's, he keeps good records of our lives and our commitment to the Lord. Matter of fact, uh, the word martyr, what, what does the word martyr mean to you? What, what's the thought here of definition of martyr? Anybody? What's that? Yeah. Dying for what you believe in. Death. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of what we in you know Fox's. Some of you read Fox's book of martyrs or have heard of it. You know that it's talking about people that have actually laid their lives down for the Lord. Uh, it was quite a quite a time back then. But martyr is the ancient Greek word martus. Uh, it kind of took on a different meaning in the New Testament as the Old Testament. But martus um, is a Greek word, um, but mar uh, martyr in the Greek never means a martyr in our sense of thinking, in our terms. You know what uh, martus actually means, which is a part of the word martus. It means a witness, a witness. And in the Old Testament, it was uh, had a different uh, thought than what it did in the New Testament. The New Testament took on what we're talking about as far as death and giving your life for, for that. But it also, it, the main word here, martyrs, means witness. He was a witness to everybody by giving his life to the Lord. He was an inspiration. He, he was a witness that we can take a stand for God and live for God in this present world. We can live for God. We can not just survive, we can thrive. But Antipas was against all that was contrary to God. So we want to be a witness for the Lord I tell you what happens, and I, I've seen this for years, and even as I as I've walked with the Lord, uh, there's there's times that people uh, lash out at people that live for God and call us names and this and that. The way I look at it, those are the ones that are going to make a good Christian because they really want it, but they're fighting against it. You know what I'm talking about? They're fighting against it. How many of you were like that? Hands raised, hands raised. We fought against it. We fought against it because, you know, we, uh, you know, we really wanted it, but we didn't want anybody else to know. I, I was like that. I didn't want anybody to know that I wanted to live for God. You know, hey, uh, I, you know, I thought my friends would disown me in high school, and I wouldn't be so cool. Well, I found out I probably wasn't cool anyway. I just thought I was cool. Uh, but when I came to the Lord, it did not matter anymore to me. I wanted people to know that I was living for God. doesn't mean I was perfect by any means, but, man, I wanted to live for God. I wanted to walk with God. And uh, I witnessed to people. I talked to people. I brought friends to church and prayed with them in the altar. Some of them received the Holy Ghost. 
But we need to be a witness. We need to be a witness for the Lord. It goes on here talking about Pergamos um, in Revelation chapter 2 again, verse 14 and 15. Uh, this shows what Jesus was against. He was for them being in the, in the, in the stronghold of uh, where the church was in stronghold of Pergamos where Satan's power and stronghold was. And that they didn't deny the name and they didn't deny his faith. But there were some things that he was against. He was against, it says, but, but I have a few things against you because you have, there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you, have all, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That's Jesus speaking this about to the church. There's some things I got against you because you're just allowing these things to come in. What it was doing is that Pergamos and the stronghold of Satan was affecting the church. They were standing strong on some things, but they were allowing these little things to come in, and then those little things eventually become big things. They had some stumbling blocks because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam in the church, the doctrine of Baal worship, worshiping idols, who taught Balak, which was the king of Moab, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. You, you, you've allowed these things to come in. And he said, these things that I'm, I ha I'm against. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. That's where we've got to stand firm on truth. We can't be a stumbling block to other people. I know, uh, I know there's times that we, we fall flat on our face and we mess up, and, but we, we shouldn't be a stumbling block to others. Um, we shouldn't be a stumbling block by not living up to God's word of truth, by compromising doctrine. It's a stumbling block. There's a lot of stumbling blocks to make them trip, fall, compromising on doctrine. We need the word of God just as it is. We don't need to change it for the flesh for, because the world says we got to do this. No, we need to do what the Lord wants us to do. We, we don't need to, matter of fact, here's one thing about our world today. Um, and, and this is a big stumbling block to a lot of people is when people start letting down on holiness. When people let down on holiness uh, in your, your life, in your walk, in your talk, and start trying to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, live like the world, that is a stumbling block to people that are trying to live for God. That's a big stumbling block. And some people fall because of that. So it's important for us to not be a stumbling block. Um, it, it's, it's giving in to the desires of the flesh, just a little here, just a little there, 
to the point where we begin to cave in, but it's the small foxes, the Bible says, that spoils the vine. It's the little things that creep in and we allow to creep in to the church and begin to compromise and trying to look like the world and try to live like the world and, and talk like the world. The Bible says that we need to come out from among them and be ye separate. God's children has always been separate and took a stand. Israel took a stand and I know they failed many times and they, they failed God but there was a difference in the in the Israelites and in the rest of the world. But sometimes flesh, our flesh wants us to compromise th some things because it's it makes it easier. What we think makes it easier to live for God. No, it makes it harder to live for God pleasing the flesh. The easiest way to live for God is to give it all to God. Get all in. Riding the fence and trying to live a little bit for God and a little bit for the world, it's the hard way to do it. You, it, it it's so difficult because, trust me, you will eventually fall the wrong way. The flesh will give in. The world will give in. Sin will give in. You, you will give in to it. Um, but trying to look and act like the world, I, I've seen it happen slowly. People do not backslide overnight. Things happen slowly. A little here, a little there, a little compromise here, a little compromise there, and eventually it gets to a point where people are trying to figure out how in the world did I get here? Or they might even be so deceived they don't even care why they got there. I've seen that. I, you know, it, it, it's something we've got to understand that, that uh, we've got to walk in truth, and we've got to walk in holiness. Holiness covers a broader area than what we actually think. It covers even on the inside. I believe that holiness starts on the inside of us, in our heart and our soul, and then it begins to flow out on the outside and affects everything about us. Um, when you lose a commitment of, to holiness unto the Lord, that's the key, holiness unto the Lord. You will, when you, when you lose that commitment, you're going to lose anointing. The flesh will take over. And the Bible says the flesh is, it says it's enmity against God. There's things that are an enmity against God. But it is the small foxes that spoil the vine. So the thing that, that, Jesus was talking to the church of Pergamos. You're allowing things to creep into the church. You're allowing idol worship. You're allowing uh, the ways of the world. Balaam, uh, the teachings of Balaam, which was a stumbling block to Israel. You, you've allowed that into the church. And then not only that, you've allowed the doctrine of the Nicolaitans to come in. And, and, and you know, you've got truth, but yet you're allowing these things to creep in and affect the church. And then that, that's the reason why a lot of the churches struggle because there's, they're not speaking the truth of the word of God. He said, I have a few things against you. And this is what he was talking about. 
It says that you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was a prototype of all corrupt teachers. False doctrine. According to Numbers 22 through 23, 24, and, and 31, Balaam combined the sins of immorality and idolatry to please Balak, which was the king of Moab. Any time there's a compromise from truth, it's trying to please either flesh, yourself, or somebody else, and not God. Compromise is everybody else but God. God's put out of the picture. We want to please the Lord. Amen? When Balaam counseled Balak, king of Moab, he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And the stumbling block was connected with idolatry, to eat things sacrificed to idols. They had feasts to eat to idols. They had a lot of sexual immorality. And if the church in Pergamos had those, had those who did hold the doctrine of Balaam, it showed that they had tendencies toward both idolatry and immorality. Now, where are we at today? We're not fighting anything new. We're fighting old spirits. Our world is taking on old spirits again. And they have been for a long time. I mean, they haven't lost that. But what is the significance behind all of this the things that they're pushing nowadays with, I'm just going to be straightforward with you, with uh, LGBTQ, ZTNJ, all of these, all of these things, it, transgenderism, homosexuality, um, uh, you know, the drag queens in schools, um, you know, we could go on and on and on and on about this. What, what, what is all of this? And, and I mentioned this in the message I preached here not too long ago. I'm just going to speak it straight out. It, it, what is all of this people's personal sexuality trying to get everybody to follow along with what they're doing? Why don't they take it to their bedroom and have their personal whatever it's their right, it's not right, but that's their right to do whatever they want to do, I guess. Uh, but it's not right to the word of God, of course. But why, do, why are they trying to affect everybody else, and even the children, with sex, immorality, immoral things? Why is that? Because it's an old spirit that is rising up in the hour that we're living in, to try to get people to compromise. And if they can, if they can affect the children, they're going to affect a whole generation with sexual immorality. And they're going back to the old idolatry worship and immorality and immoral things that happen in these cities. Uh, it's an old spirit that hasn't died. It's just rising up again and continue to rise up again, and we need as a church body to overcome it. It's a spirit. You're not fighting flesh and blood. You're fighting spirits. How do you fight a spirit? 
in prayer, in the word, speaking the word, taking authority, taking dominion, overcoming these things, uh, in prayer, fasting, uh, uh, getting into the presence of the Lord, being committed to God. Uh, and, and we have authority in us. If we have the, the name of uh, we repented, we have the name of Jesus applied to our lives, there's power in that name. We have the word that we plant inside of us to, uh, to uh, uh, have that as far as a power that flows out of it. There's power in the word of God. Speak the word of the Lord. Take authority, take dominion. Uh, we have the spirit of God. If you have God, which you do, You've got all the power you need to overcome this world, the ungodliness of this world. So as sexual immorality marked the whole culture of the ancient Roman Empire, Pergamos, Smyrna, other churches, other cities, it was simply taken for, for granted, and the person who lived by biblical standards of purity was considered strange. Does that sound like today? Okay, let's go back. How many times you heard the word? Uh, there's going to be a time where good is evil and evil is good. That's where we're at right now. Nothing to be afraid of. We just stand on the word of God. We stand with the Lord. We just walk in God's commandments and his word. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We do need to take a stand for the Lord. But we need to be wise because we want to save souls. There's a lot of confusion in this world right now. It's really strange that they would go into schools and try to teach the younger generation about sex. It's an old spirit. And it's rising up again. To keep from sexual immorality in that culture, you really had to swim against the current and it's in that ancient culture. And it's the same thing today. In order to overcome sexual immorality, you've got to flow against the current. You've got to go upstream. You've got to be separate from the world. And that's important for, for holiness in our lives. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Not saith pastor, which I'm saying it because it's the word of the Lord, but saith the Lord. He wants us to come out from among the world and be separate. It's not just for being separate's sake, it's by bearing the Lord in our lives. When we walk in holiness in, in our conversation, the speech we speak, the way we live, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we... What's going to happen through holiness, where it starts on the inside and flows to the outside, we're going to show forth God in this world and not show forth ourself and our flesh. I tell you what the world needs to see in us is not our flesh. They need to see God in us. God in can, Is that right? They need to see God in us. It's very important. And even more so today than what we've ever seen. I know back when I grew up in the 60s, it was a crazy time. 
I grew up in the 70s, but here's the thing about it. Um, uh, it's become a whole lot worse now than it's ever been, but there was a lot of ungodly things happened back then. Uh, but we're living in a crazy day, but um, that is where our world and country is being drawn back to, to these old spirits of sexual immorality and impurity. Trying to indoctrinate the younger generation so that it can destroy a whole generation. You know, that's exactly what uh, Adolf Hitler and the communists was wanting to do, is they wanted to indoctrinate the children. Do you realize that that's exactly what Russia is doing right now? They went into um, Ukraine, and I don't remember the exact number, but do you realize that they've taken over uh, 700,000 kids from Ukraine and took them back to Russia? You know why? I, I think that's the number. Maybe I'm incorrect with 700,000, but it's a lot. It's up at, way up in the thousands. But the reason why they're doing that, and can you imagine the parents that have lost their children in this war that's going on? But the reason is, and this is what I've heard about that, is that Russia's population is getting older and older, and they're losing the younger generation because they are, they are seeing through all of this. So they're trying to bring in kids from uh, Ukraine so they can indoctrinate them into their way of thinking and so they can continue on with their socialistic evil whatever. You see, there is a lot of evil things in our world today. We've got to take a stand on the word of God and fall in love with the Lord. We can make a difference. We don't make a difference in reaching souls by being hateful and mean and, and, and uh, uh, harsh to people. No, he that wins souls is wise. Truth and love. Well, some people say, well, that's, that's weak. No, that's not weak. It's stronger to take truth and speak it in love than it is to do it another way. But there is a generation that they're like, take for instance, Russia and with with even in America, there's a whole generation they're trying to indoctrinate to the point where they have the younger generation trained to live a certain way to fulfill the desires of these sexual immorality. It's crazy that, that our government would push this stuff now. And it's all, it all is connected with sexual immorality completely against what God wants and how he designed us. So what I say today is holiness is of more vital importance to the church and to us as individuals than it's ever been. Ever been. We've got to guard our families and our children and we've got to, we've got to be there for them. It's hard to me uh, understand uh, drag queens in grade schools. That should never be. I heard just the other day that there was a a student, a, a, a little, I think it was a little girl in grade school, and the teacher was making her speak some uh, a writing 
read a writing that she wrote and it had some terrible uh, ungodly things in it. And she said, I don't want to do this. She said, you have to do it. This is your assignment. You have to, for you to get a grade. She didn't want to do it. So it came back to the, to, the, to the parents and the mom went to the school district and began to speak to them at the, the, the school board meeting that she was against this and why are you allowing this? And she started taking the paper that the teacher was wanting the, her, her child to read in front of the class and she started reading it to the, the, the uh, school superintendent and the school board and they shut her down. And here's the reason. Because it was too, uh, it, it was full of too many terrible, terrible words and things for those adults to listen to in that school board meeting. But they, would, did, they did not say a word about them speaking it in the classroom. That's evil. And that's from the pit of hell, is my opinion. Drag queens in schools, sex change, homosexuality, um, your own pronouns, Choose today what gender you want to be today so that young men can go into girls' restrooms. And tomorrow they're going to change back to, I'm a, man, I'm a young man now. And bounce back. That's nuts. That's crazy. That is not of God. It's not even, even close to being of God. It is from the pit of hell is exactly where that's coming from. And that's what we're dealing with. And the media and our, our government uh, is accepting this stuff and promoting it. So what do we do? What, what do we do with this? We take a stand with God. The world is going to wax worse and worse. It's going to do what it's going to do. But we can take a stand. We can overcome these spirits by... by uh, living for the Lord the way we need to live for Him by prayer, covering ourselves in the Word of the Lord, our families, uh, uh, being faithful to the Lord, walking with the Lord each and every day. We've got to guard our families uh, from this, this evil, but we've got to also reach other people and let the Word of God do the work uh, so that it will open the eyes of people that are deceived the word of God is truth. The world is deceived right now. And it's waxing worse and worse. We need to teach holiness in the church, in our families. We need to teach morality. And some scriptures that mean more today than ever before, I mean to us anyway. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 25, 26. It says, the graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. You might even think, well, okay, the gold and silver, we can use that. No, get rid of it. Because it's going to bring you into a snare. It goes on and says, uh, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. 
but thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. In other words, talking about taking a stand for your family, for your life. Deuteronomy 12, 31 says, Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth. Abomination is things God hates. Things God hates. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. They offered their children to sacrifice unto the idols. And what the Lord was saying, don't be a part of that. Of course, this is, and it goes, the scripture goes on, and it's talking, of course, this is talking about sacrifice. Sacrifice. Children as a gods. Let me say this, what you allow will affect your children. They will get burnt. They will get burnt. And here's another scripture that we've, we've stood on in teaching of holiness. And I'm going to bring us to a close on this. Um, talking about abomination is something that God hates. If God hated in the Old Testament, I don't think he's going to change his mind about what he hates in the New Testament. Abomination is abomination. But here's a scripture that is more vital to the people of God today than ever concerning holiness. It's Deuteronomy 22 and 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Abominations are things God hates. But it's more so today in, in, in our world <laughs> with what we're seeing, there is such a change of, you know, people are changing their their uh, sexual identity. God created them a certain way. I mean, it's so confusing now. I've I, I got to think when the doctor, a woman gives birth and walks in and says, it's a, you can't say a boy anymore, you can't say a girl. I mean, what is it? It's confusion. Confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm just, talking about this is where our world is at right now and this is what we're dealing with we're in the middle of a stronghold and we as a church we got to take a stand not in a mean way we we take authority over the spirits that are trying to hurt people we're not fighting flesh and blood we're fighting spirits spirits and um we need, as far as holiness is concerned in our, uh, in our, in our, in our lifestyle and being different from the world, uh, we need to let people see God in us, not lust for your flesh. Uh, we, we will, um, let me put it this way, and I've said it before, but we get what we advertise. If you're wanting a relationship, and uh, any of us, or even young people, I know some of the young people are here tonight, but if you want a good, solid relationship, don't base your relationship on lust in the flesh. Base it upon love. You get what you advertise. If you advertise um, 
lust and showing of the flesh and showing of the body, that's what you're going to get. It's going to be a relationship of lust, and lust is not going to last. They'll get bored. They'll move on to somebody else. You're going to be hurt. You're going to, your life is going to be miserable. But if you live a life where people see God in you, they see God in you, and you base your relationship on a relationship with God, then that's going to last. It's, it's, when you base it on a relationship of God in you and God in them, it's going to be a true love relationship. It's going to last. It's going to last. You know, the purpose of dressing immodest is to get attention. Let's just be straightforward about it. It's just to get attention. And if they're seeing you, you or your flesh and not seeing God, that's a problem. God's not happy with that. Do you actually think God is happy if we dress in a way that someone lusts after you and lust of sin? Do you think God's happy with that? No, I, I really don't think he would be happy with that. But here's the thing. Fall in love with the Lord. Be modest in your life. Show forth God in your life. I, and I'm going to close on this. Uh, I haven't finished it all, but and I had mentioned this before, but I feel like I need to talk about it one more time here uh, because I feel like it kind of fits here. There was a radio program uh, a few years ago that um, it was a Christian radio program, and they got on different subjects, and someone called in, and they were talking about um, the way people dress in church. <laughs> and uh, and they, it turned out that was one of the programs that lasted for several days. People were calling in. Women were calling in and saying, I'm embarrassed to even invite my husband to church because of the way some of the women dress in church. But let me put it this way. I feel like this is really down to the bottom fact of the matter is, is like if we, if we dress in a way that is provocative in church and we're trying to lead worship, you know where the attention is going to be? It's not going to be on God. It's going to be on the flesh. That's where it's going to be. So what we're doing is we're taking God's praise and his honor and, and where we need to be focusing upon him, we're taking it away from him and we're putting it on ourselves. And we are the ones that's getting all the attention and we've taken the attention away from God. It's, it, we, we must in our worship give all of the attention to the Lord. I mean, does that make sense? We can't take our, the attention away from God. That's where it belongs, on him. When we worship, we're worshiping him. We're focusing upon him. You see, the Lord wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be, he wants you to live a life that's blessed. He wants you to be loved. He wants you to have a relationship that is strong and stable. And he wants you to be able to walk in life and, and have the blessings of his spirit upon you. That's the purpose of all of the word of the Lord. The world doesn't like to hear the word, 
because it doesn't, it's not always pleasing to the flesh. So the Lord wants you to have the, blessed, the most blessed life that you could ever have. That's the reason why he gives us the word of God so that we can walk in that and be blessed in him. Amen. So to Pergamus, he said, I got some things against you. And we'll talk about the Nicolaitans. I know we talked about it before, but we got a few other things we want to talk about on that. Is they were allowing things in. And what we have to do is we got to be cautious, not just with the church, but and not just with our families, but we need to be cautious about ourselves, our own walk with God. We need to be careful about that. The Bible says. Uh, to not put any evil before your eyes. We've got to guard ourselves, guard our, guard our heart, guard our minds. And uh, what he was saying to the church of Pergamos, there's something i got against you, and you're allowing these things in. But we could take the example of Pergamos, and we can apply it to our own life. We want to be pleasing to God. We don't want God to be against us. We're not going to be perfect, but we are trying to, we're trying to learn of how to walk with God. Amen? God is showing us a little here, a little there. But thank God for the apostolic churches that take a stand on the Lord. I do realize that there are, are, are sometimes people that are very judgmental, and they run people away from God. They, they can, because, you know, they, they do it in a manner that's, it's, that's harsh. We've got to win souls, and we've got to be wise in winning souls. So where do we go from here? Um, we just simply need to take the word of God and follow his word and his truth. I want to live for God. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want our church to be pleasing to Him. Don't you? We love the Lord. And I know you love the Lord. And we want to be totally pleasing to Him. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Let's stand.